Turn with me to John chapter 3. Just give me a minute here. Yep, thank you. John chapter 3, from verse 1 to 21, is a, a conversation that is going on between Jesus and Nicodemus. If you have your Bible, John chapter 3 is found in the New Testament, uh, whether you're opening your Hard copy or soft copy, that's okay. And for all of you that are joining us for the first time, you are welcome. We, we are glad that you are here. And here at Southside Bible Fellowship, we believe that since God's word, since the Bible is God's word, and that... Each one of us that believes in Jesus is a child of God. Say it with me. The Bible is God's word for us. We believe that the Bible is God's word for us. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity you've given us to pray and to sing, to worship you. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit who teaches us may accomplish what you intend to accomplish through your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you are with me in John chapter 3, we are told there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus. He was a, a teacher of the law. He was a respected professor in Jerusalem. And this man came to see Jesus at night. We don't know why he decided to come at night, but he, he wanted to talk with Jesus. He had something that was disturbing him. There is something that he wanted to know, even though he, Nicodemus is a teacher of the law, there was still something that he didn't understand. And so he comes to Jesus and he says in verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So he acknowledges that Jesus must have come from God, and he calls him Rabbi. He is respecting him. He is calling him a teacher. So he wants to have a discussion with Jesus. That's why he has come. He wants to find some answers. Nicodemus knows that Jesus has the answers. Jesus doesn't waste his time. He tells him, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. 
Seems like Jesus understood that Nicodemus was looking for something. And he goes straight to the point. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. No one. That means you. That means me. That means everyone. I belong to that team of no one. And then Jesus says, unless they are born again. He doesn't say unless they are baptized. He doesn't say unless they go to church. He doesn't say no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are American citizens. He doesn't say that. Unless they are born again. This is non-negotiable. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying <laughs> there is no other way for anyone. And so Nicodemus asks, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Nicodemus here understands that that uh, for an old person to go back to his mother's womb, it's not possible. So he wants to know from Jesus, how does this happen? I get your point, but how? And Jesus gives him an explanation. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Jesus tells him, this is a spiritual birth. He says to Nicodemus that the kind of birth I'm talking about can only be done by the Holy Spirit. Nicodemus still has questions. He is a scholar. And therefore he asked Jesus again in verse 9, how can this be? See, Nicodemus here is a portrait of someone who is looking for a relationship. Like the Samaritan woman, the God-shaped vacuum in his heart is empty. Do you know that each one of us has a God-shaped vacuum in our hearts that only God can fill? There is a vacuum in your life that only God can fill. And people try to fill it with so many things. 
People try to fill that vacuum with drugs and alcohol and, and other stuff because they understand that there is something that I'm missing in my life and they begin to look for it in the wrong places. Nicodemus understands that he is missing something. He knows the scripture. He is a scholar. He is a theologian. He he is one of the members of the Sanhedrin, like a Supreme Court member. He is a respected person, but he still misses something that only Jesus can provide. And therefore he asks, how can this be? And Jesus, I like what Jesus asks Nicodemus in Verse 10, you are Israel's teacher, and do you not understand these things? Now, Jesus is pointing at him. Everything that you know, Nicodemus, you don't know this. You have learned a lot of scripture. You know the Old Testament, but you are missing this. And then he takes Nicodemus to a familiar territory. He tells him, very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven. Listen to this. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Do you know why Jesus is doing this here? Turn with me to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Remember Nicodemus knows the Old Testament. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, Daniel says, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. For Nicodemus, when Jesus says, no one, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. In Nicodemus' minds, he knows what Jesus is talking about. Because Jesus is the son of man. 
that Daniel saw in his vision. The likeness of a son of man who was given power and authority and glory. So Jesus is telling, is saying to Nicodemus that my authority comes from heaven. He's saying to him, my testimony is true because I have been there. He's telling Nicodemus, Nicodemus, what I'm telling you is something that I know and I have experienced. When I'm talking about heaven, I'm not talking about an imaginary place. I'm talking about a place that I have been. No one has been there except the one who came from there, and that is the Son of Man. You see, one way of sharing the gospel is first understanding where the person is and then going with them where they are, starting where they are, using their own language, their own understanding, their own education. The problem is at times we want to bring our knowledge and then we disconnect with people. If you are going to listen to what people are saying, you will find a reason to connect with them. And this is what Jesus is doing here. Jesus knows that this is an Old Testament scholar. I am going to take him to the Old Testament. He continues. Says to Nicodemus, just as Moses, he's taking him back to the Old Testament again. Now, he's taking him to the book of Numbers. If you can turn with me to Numbers chapter 21. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Turn with me to Numbers 21 from verse 4. I'm going to rush through this so that you can just have an idea. You can read it at your own time. The Israelites, having been delivered from Egypt on their way to the promised land, they became impatient. And they began to complain. They spoke against God and against Moses. And this is what they said. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food. Referring to the food that God had provided for them. There is no pizza. And so the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They beat the people, and many Israelites died. And they began to cry. 
They turned to Moses and said, we have sinned. Please pray for us. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. And this is what happened in verse 8. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is beaten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was beaten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. This is a story of hope in the midst of hopelessness. Hope where there is no hope. It is a story of hopelessness because the Israelites were dying from snake bites. The snakes were killing them. But it is also a story and an image of hope because we see God providing a way for them. God used a symbol of a snake. For their salvation, for their healing. The Israelites who were beaten by the poisonous snakes were supposed to first believe that by looking at that bronze snake, they would be healed. And then look. So the looking and the believing worked together. Are are we together here? By looking, they were to show that they believed what God had said to Moses. And everyone who looked was healed. The poisonous snakes were still there biting people, but there was also a way out for them. So I I told a story here. Some of you remember it when I visited a friend, or maybe it's another church that I told that story, but I visited a friend who had a snake as a pet. Who has a snake as a pet? And I didn't know. He didn't tell me. If you have a pet and you're going to receive visitors, make sure they know. Before they get there. For example, if you have a cat and my wife is going to visit you, make sure she knows. Because my wife, I don't know what cats did to her. (laughs) I've never seen anyone who is frightened by cats like my wife. And if you have a cat and I'm coming, let me know too. Because of my wife. (laughs) And so... Uh, I'm, I'm in this guy's living room, and he asked me, can I serve you coffee? I said, oh, yeah, I'll take coffee anytime." So he went to the kitchen. He went to the kitchen to prepare coffee, and I'm seated here, and then suddenly I see a snake. <laughs> a snake is crawling, and it's coming to me. I don't like snakes. Where I come from, when you see a snake, you kill it. 
And so here I am, I jump on the couch, I'm jumping on the table, and I'm calling him, there's a snake in the house. And he comes in, he's smiling, while I am dying. And he looks at me and he says, oh, that's, that's Chris. I'm like, what? He says, oh, that's Chris, that's my pet. I mean, I was tempted to think that he is not saved. <laughs> I was just tempted to think. That's Chris, that's my pet. And then he, he, he took the snake, and he was, the, the snake was okay. And you know, for the first time, when he was holding the snake, I felt peaceful. I felt peaceful because he was there. The snake was still there. But this time, I wasn't afraid of the snake because the owner of the snake was with me. Because I realized, in case of anything, I can call the owner to deal with his snake. The snakes were still there when the Israelites were dying. But now, they had no reason to be afraid of those snakes because God had provided a way. The same God who allowed the poisonous snakes to bite them provided a snake to save them. The likeness of a snake. The same God that has allowed sin to prevail in this world has provided a way out for us. The same God that has allowed pain and suffering has provided hope and peace through Jesus Christ. And therefore, as we experience all those difficulties, we are reminded to look at Jesus Christ for our healing, for our hope, and for our peace. See, this guy served me coffee. I was still afraid of the snake. And I was, I was looking around. But at the same time, I was peaceful. Because he was there. And this, this is what God does in our lives. And Jesus takes Nicodemus to the Old Testament. He's telling him, just as Moses lifted that snake, the Son of Man must be lifted. See, the snake is a... The snakes were perfect examples for sin. They were the perfect image for sin because we know that Adam and Eve were tempted by a snake. But Jesus shows up and he deals with the snakes in our lives. He shows up and through him we know that God has provided a way for us. And therefore Jesus brings Nicodemus to John 
3:16 Remember Nicodemus is asking how can this be And Jesus says for God so loved the world If you went to Sunday school you know John 3:16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, it is possible for you to be born again because of the love of God. New birth is possible because God loves you and me. In fact, you can, you can replace the world with your name. You can say, for God so loved Susanna that he gave his one and only son. You can say, for God so loved Janice. For God so loved Robert. For God so loved Mark. For God so loved Anthony. For God, you can put your name there. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> you, you can put your name in there. Because he loves you, he sent his son to die on the cross. Why? So that you may not perish. If you turn to Jesus Christ, you will not perish. If you don't turn to Jesus Christ, you will perish. You can be born again because God so loved. New birth is possible because of God's love. This Jesus, we are told in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, that God sent him to die in our place. He made him to be seen for us. He took our place on the cross. We are also told in Galatians 3.13 that he redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse himself. Taking upon it. You see, Jesus died so that you and I can live. The interesting thing here is that if you are born once, you die twice. If you are born once, you die twice. You and I will die the physical death. And if we die without Christ, there is a spiritual death also. Eternal death. The book of Revelation calls it the second death. You are born once, you die twice. You are born twice, you die once. The second birth is the most important birth in your life. Do you know why? Because the second birth gives you a new life. 
It brings you to God's family. It gives you a new identity. God moves in in his fullness. His Holy Spirit indwells you. And he begins to transform you from inside. You begin to realize that I am a new creation. You begin to detest some of the things that you are running in your life. The things that you thought were so important. The things that you are running for. You begin to realize that they are not as important anymore. Because the Holy Spirit is working from the inside. You begin to change your vocabulary, your behavior begin to change, begins to change. You are being transformed because you've been born again. Have you seen a new child? Have you, have you seen a new child? Like, at least you saw yourself if you've never seen one. But see, when a child is born, he or she cannot do a lot of things. But when they begin to grow, they start talking, walking, running, doing stuff. They, as they grow, they undergo a transformation. You become a child of God. And then the Holy Spirit begins to take you through a transformation. See, when we see a, a, a baby, we say, oh, she's cute, she's cute. Wait until she becomes a teenager. <laughs> Depending on the transformation that happens For those of you who have questions about salvation, look at Jesus Christ. Look at him. Look at him and you will find answers. For some of us here that are, are born again, we have Christ in our lives. This is a reminder that you are a child of God. You are a son and a daughter of God. And in God's eyes, you are precious. Because you bear his image. Because you have his Holy Spirit. Now, people may look at you and see something else. But God looks at you and he sees his own image. And you know, because of what is happening in our lives as we age, or because of illness, sometimes we begin to forget things. You forget, you put something somewhere, you forget where you put it. Right? You write something, and you have to remember where you wrote it. And then you have to remember where you put it. And sometimes you can 
you can forget the day you became a Christian. And that can be very frustrating for some of us. I can't remember when I became a Christian. Because you were at a place or a church or you were taught that you must remember this day. But a time comes when you are no longer in control of your own mind and you can't remember and it frustrates you. When that happens, don't worry because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Doesn't matter if you remember or not, God does not forget. You are safe. As long as you know that you are a child of God because the spirit inside you testifies that you are a child of God, your name is written in his book and you are safe. Just remember that he chose you before the foundations of this world. See, God is not going to miss his children. You are his. In fact, as we go through these lessons, fresh encounter with Jesus Christ, you will realize that people come to Christ, people encounter Christ differently. For example, Nicodemus, we don't know when, he was born again. We see in John chapter 19 verse 39 that when Jesus died, Nicodemus is one of the people who went to take his body, which tells us probably he became a believer. He was no longer afraid of identifying himself with Jesus even at his death. But we cannot pinpoint when he was born again. We have people here too who cannot tell when they were born again. Not because they have forgotten, but there has been a process that happened and eventually they came to an understanding that, wow, I am a child of God. Now you will meet someone who will claim you have to have the year, the date, the day, the month, and the time. And if you have that, that's okay. But what you need is the assurance that you are a child of God. You need that assurance. If you remember, that's good. If you don't remember, you just need to be assured. You need to look at yourself. You need to ask yourself, Am I born again? Because Jesus said, no one, no one shall enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And for those of you who think that they still have time, you have believed a lie. 
When I was young, I used to tell myself that I will get saved when I get old. I got saved when I was 23 years old, and I felt like it was too late for me. Today, we still have people who say and think that they still have time. If you are among those who think that they still have time, look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. I'm finishing here. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You don't have time. It is God who is being patient with you. If, if, you, if you think you have convinced yourself that you have time, you are believing a lie. You don't have time. It's God who is being patient. It's God who is giving you time. You don't have time. You don't. Your time is running out. The only reason that you are still alive today is because God is patient. He loves you, he sent his son to die for you, and he is patient with you. You don't have control of that. And for those of us who think that there is another way, there is no other way. It says in verse 17, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whosoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one only son. There is no other way. It's only one way, and that way is Jesus Christ. I wish I could tell you that there is another way, but there isn't. And it finishes by saying, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Last Sunday we saw the Samaritan woman. Once Jesus revealed himself to her, she could not contain herself. The Samaritan woman was not educated. She was someone that was looked down upon. Today we are seeing Nicodemus, an educated person, someone that is highly respected. The Samaritan woman and Nicodemus have one thing in common. They 
all need Jesus. He came for each one of us. Even though he was a king, he was born in a manger. He was born in the lowest place so that he can reach the lowest person. Do you look at yourself and see someone that is beyond repair? You look at your life and all you can see are the broken pieces. If you have your, uh, a bu your bulletin, just look at the, that, that image there. Let me tell you about it and I'll be done here. The image that we have of a broken vessel that has been mended. All of us without Jesus Christ are broken. I told you last Sunday that we are so bad at writing our own story. We are broken without Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ comes into our lives, and those of you who are saved know this, he has a way of taking all those pieces and knitting them together. Like a broken pot. This broken pot was knit together with gold. You look at it, you can see the cracks. But let me tell you, after it has been knit together, patched together with gold, it becomes more expensive than it was before. And that's what happens in your life. Regardless of where you are coming from, regardless of your lifestyle, when Jesus comes into your life, he brings all those pieces together. He knits them together and you become worthy because of him. You become precious in his sight because of him. And yes, yes, you will still have the scars. Yes, you will look at your life and you will see a lot of scars. Oh, yes, they are scars. Do you know what scars means? It means you have been healed. You look at those scars and you thank God for it. You thank God for his healing. You thank God for his salvation. You think of where you are coming from and the only thing you can say is, thank you, God. Yes, I can see the scars, but those scars are a reminder of who I was and of who I am. And I don't care if someone looks at me and all they can see are the scars. What I know is God has dealt with me. And let me tell you this. If you are here and you, you have scars in your life, you know where God has taken you from. When you understand that, you, you will not stand here when we are praising God. 
and sing as if you don't have life in you. You will be the person who will be trying to stop. You will be the person that cannot contain himself or herself because the joy in you is unspeakable. When you realize where he has taken you from, you will not take it for granted. You will not call yourself the chosen frozen. <laughs> because when the Holy Spirit comes in you, he defreezes you. You become alive. Let's see if there will be a difference next Sunday. Let's see. I'll, I'll just be looking at you. And some of you don't know some of the songs we sing, but usually there's an email that is sent with those songs and you can listen to them. But, you know, let us rejoice in the presence of the Lord. Father, I want to thank you for your love for us. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your power. I thank you for your patience. Lord, you know us. You know each one of us here. And you can see those souls that need you. I pray that you may minister to them. I pray that you may draw them to yourself. If there is one person who is listening this morning who does not have a relationship with you, I pray, Father, that you may reach unto them this morning and in your own way, you may bring them to your fold. And for those of us, Lord, that have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ, and those of us that are still tormented by the lifestyles that we have lived, we still go back in our minds and we are focusing so much on the scars instead of focusing on you. How I pray that you may help your people to realize that they are more precious now than they were without you. How I pray that you may help your people to realize that now that you are in their lives, they have a reason to be joyful and to share that joy with others. I pray that you may be glorified in our lives. I pray that you continue to teach us as you transform us to the image of your son. In Jesus' name, amen.